Have you ever read a comic about a guy, a hero, who does battle with a creature made of human vomit? Sounds pretty gross, doesn't it? Well, that's what I'm talking about today on this episode of Just Another Fanboy. Buckle up. And welcome to another episode of Just Another Podcast. Whoa, that was wrong. That was completely wrong. I do that every once in a while. So I'm going to rewind for just a second here, and we're going to start that over, okay? Okay. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that stopped singing in the shower because, well, it started to attract badgers. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today we are setting out again another journey in the epic tale of a guy named Frank, Frank Einstein, the madman. Yeah, we're going to talk about Madman Comics, issue number eight. This was published by Dark Horse Comic Books on July 1st, 1995. It had a cover price of $2.95. The title of this issue is The Puke, and it was written by Mike Allred with art by Mike Allred, the letters by Sean Cannot, and the colorist was Laura Allred. So let me read you the blurb about this issue over from the Dark Horse website. He's turgid, he's vile, he's foodstuff and bile, he's the puke, and he's... (laughs) I had to stop myself. I felt like one of those morning DJs. He's the puke. It's Steven and the puke here on K3957. Turn up the dial and rip off the knob. That's what I felt like there. All right, let me just start it over. (laughs) Doing that a lot today. He's turgid, he's vile, he's foodstuff and bile, he's the puke. And he's heaving his own brand of evil. Can Madman undo the man made of spew before he makes a mess of Snap City? Hang on to your barf bag, comic book comrades, because a lot more than fists will be flying in Madman Comics number eight. I don't know who writes those. I'm going to just assume it's Mr. Allred. And uh, I'll just ask him because sometimes he actually listens to these episodes. Uh, Mr. Allred? Did you write that? Do you write those? Is that something that you do or is that something that uh, Dark Horse Comics does? Because I love them. I love these uh, issue blurbs here on the Dark Horse website for for all of these Madman comics that have been published by Dark Horse. The, the blurbs have been pretty freaking good. So we open up the issue in a dream. Frank, the Madman Einstein, is swimming in vomit. It's a lovely splash page of Madman and the uh, pukey substance all around him. And then the words, the puke, the title of the, uh, uh, of the issue, scrawled across the top, also uh, looking very vomity. Um, and then we get uh, some narration from Frank, as we do in all of these issues. I've mentioned it before. I'm not going to stop mentioning it. Frank uh, writes in a journal. And the narration we get in these issues uh, basically come out of his journal, the way I understand it. So he's uh, he's narrating, basically talking about what's going on here. He can't breathe. He knows that he's dreaming, but he doesn't know 
if it's just a regular dream or one of those future dreams that he has where he dreams that uh, 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 something's going to happen to him in the future. He, in, in fact, if you remember from a, a previous issue, a few issues back, Frank had been dreaming that some being would uh, uh, blast him apart with uh, eye beams coming out of the dude's mask. And then that actually happened, except for it wasn't Frank. It was Astro Man, who's basically a robot version of Frank, except he doesn't look like Frank. Uh, but Astro Man had donned Frank's costume to pose as Frank because he knew that this guy was going to kill Frank. And so he killed Astro Man instead. But since Astro Man is a robot, he's uh, they're 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 bringing him back. Don't don't you worry about that. So he wakes from his dream. He's actually yanked out of his dream by somebody clutching that freaky, weird antenna thing that sometimes pops out of the, the front of Frank's head. We're in a hospital room. It's actually the, the hospital room of Chow Skip Yang from uh, the, the agent of Tri-I. You'll remember him from the previous issue that featured the big guy. Frank Miller's the big guy. The, some robots had tried to uh, abduct We'll call him Professor Boyford at this point because we also learned in a previous couple issues that uh, Dr. Boyford is not an actual doctor. He'd been uh, injecting his brain with a special chemical to make him smarter, and it ended up expanding his brain so much that he is mostly brain at this point, and he is so smart that to even the smartest people on the planet, what he says just sounds like nonsense, but it's like super smart. It's so smart. It's like magic. It's magic smart. But if you'll also remember, Dr. Boyford is the guy who basically brought Frank back to life. Frank had died in a car accident. He was a John Doe. And uh, Dr. Boyford, using a process that he and Dr. Flem developed together, brought Frank back to life, named him Frank Einstein. Um, and he's got some weird psychic abilities. He's uh, super agile and flexible and He's also a super nice guy. I don't know if that's a uh, superpower, but Frank's a super swell fella. But Frank has no memories of his previous life uh, other than a feeling of uh, enjoying. He he remembers a comic book that he used to love as a child, as a kid, reading comics called Mr. Excitement. And so he wears a costume or a uniform that covers every inch of him except for the hair poking out of the top of the mask. That features the exclamation bolt of Mr. Excitement on his chest. He feels more comfortable socially when he's wearing this costume because otherwise underneath it all, you know, he's got like blue gray skin. He's 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 a he's an animated corpse. He's a walking dead guy and he doesn't feel comfortable showing that to people. But he has this freaking antenna thing that pops out of his head every once in a while when he's using his psychic ability, which he really has no control over. He sometimes he'll shake somebody's hand. And boom, he sees something about them, uh, like they uh, murdered a bunch of people or they're um, a really super swell person just like he is. Well, he's yanked out of his pukey dreams from somebody pulling on this antenna, and it happens to be Chow Skip Wang. Because as I said, we're in his uh, his hospital room. Okay, so I have to stop for a second because my brain is doing this weird thing where I suddenly feel like uh, when I referred to the hospital room earlier, I said hotel room. Did I did I do that? Did I say hotel room? 
I hope not. I'm getting old. Anyway, he's in a hospital room. He's actually laying on the floor. He was napping on the floor next to the bed where Chow Skip Wang is uh, sleeping. He's, uh, I guess you would call that in traction because he has um, an arm in a cast that's up on a sling hanging from the ceiling. And same thing with uh, at least one of his legs. Um, Skip, which I think that's what he prefers to be called, uh, was helping the big guy and madman rescue Dr. Professor Boyford from these evil robots. And he got shot multiple times. I mean, that dude is full of bullet holes. And yet he he kept bouncing back. This dude is a resilient, resilient dude. So again, still on page two here, um, Skip's yanking on on Frank's antenna. And he, he's asking him, you know, what is this? What's what's going on, you know, with with this thing sticking out of your head? He speaks uh, way more poetically than I do. Um, Frank, who is, of course, super angry about being, you know, having his little antenna thing yanked on. I call it an antenna. He calls it. Uh, well, actually, what he says is Dr. Flem calls it his third eye. Um, and he says he thinks that when it comes out, I can tap into the portion of my brain that most humans never use. You know, you only use a small fraction of your brain power. And Skip says, speak for yourself. Uh, but it's it's not like a an antenna like what would be on a bug. It's it's kind of a kind of like a weird tentacle almost. But Frank tells Skip that um, you know, he, he can't really control it and it, it helps him see things, the future, other people's thoughts. And sometimes he thinks he can see pieces of his previous life. And explains that it hurts when that happens. And uh, Skip has no no idea. I mean, they've just basically met. So Frank is telling Skip about how he was dead and brought back to life by Dr. Boyford uh, using the process that he and his partner, Dr. Flem, came up with. And Skip's like, oh, Dr. Gillespie Flem? And Frank's like, yeah, do you know him? And sure, he's a member of Tri-Eye. And Frank's like, oh, I see. You know, you can tell that Frank's like, oh, well, he's never told me that. I wonder why. Anyway, after Frank and Skip talk for a little bit, Frank leaves the room. He wants to go check on somebody in the hospital. Uh, back in issue number six, the first of the two issues that featured Frank Miller's big guy, near the opening of that issue, Frank and Joe rescue a man in the back of a moving van. Uh, he was being attacked by... Weird alien dudes they referred to as moon men because their heads looked like the full moon and not like how we see the moon in the sky, how the moon actually looks, you know, full of craters and junk like that. But at one point, as they are grappling with this man, he bursts into flame. And that's how Madman or, or Frank, that's how Frank and Joe end up back in the hospital in that issue. They take the guy back to the hospital. They had gone to visit. Dr. Boyford, uh, and then they were heading back to Buzztown in uh, one of Dr. Flem's, well, in Dr. Flem's Magna, Magna Car, is that what it's called? But they encounter this dude. These alien guys uh, cause him to burst into flames. He's very much a, a charred husk of a man when, when Frank gets him to the hospital. And I think Frank even mentions at one point as he's handing the guy off to uh, uh, the emergency room doctors that the dude's starting to get a little gooey. And so that's, uh, was it gooey or juicy? Ugh. Either way, it's pretty gross. But that's who Frank is going to visit. He's going to go check up on this guy, 
see how he's doing. And uh, he gets to the area of the hospital where the guy is and he finds a doctor and he he's asking, uh, he asks the doctor as he approaches her, he goes, doctor, you remember me? And she's like, oh dear. Yeah, I think I should because, you know, he's one of the few people in the world that walk around in a full costume like that at all times. But he he's asking about the the guy that he brought in. We find out that his name is Terrence Lender and uh, that he was moving to a new place for a new job. His family was there waiting for him. Uh, they've contacted the family and told them that they might as well stay where they're at because uh, Mr. Lender is in quarantine. And that's when we hear a scream from behind the doors that have the big word quarantine across them. Uh, that's where Mr. Lender is. And Frank, of course, being the the hero that he is, he wants to, you know, what what's, you know, here's the scream. He has to check it out. Somebody's in trouble. He he just cannot not help people. That's who Frank is. And the doctor doesn't want him to go in there because it's A, it's quarantine, and B, there's nothing that Frank can do for this person. And uh Frank basically he he tells her he doesn't care and he bursts into the room and we see Seven people in hazmat suits, doctors, nurses, uh, employees, the hospital, medical assistants. We don't know exactly who they are, but they're, there's seven or so of them. They're all in hazmat suits and they're standing around a, a table with a figure strapped to the table. And the figure appears to be made out of some kind of weird green uh, dripping substance. They yell at Frank, you're not supposed to be in here. Get out. Frank immediately turns around and closes the door and he is gagging at this point. Uh, because this is a visual medium, first of all, we're going to, we're going to assume we have to assume that what is causing Frank to hack and gag is the, the sight of this person who is Mr. Lender, who the doctor then explains at that point, she's being very, uh, I told you so kinda, and is actually smiling as if, uh, yeah, you deserve that, mister, you know, to Frank. That's kind of the way she looks. That's kind of the way her face looks. But she's telling him that Mr. Lender has turned into a large breathing pile of vomit. And so, yeah, he looks really gross. But I have to assume that part of the reason that Frank is gagging and hacking is not just because of the way this guy looks, but because of the smell that was probably coming out of that room, which ugh, makes me want to gag a little bit myself just thinking about it. He actually even says to the doctor, because she's because she asks him, you know, are you satisfied? Maybe you do have some valuable suggestions. After all, you are the one who found him. What would you do for a man who is turning into a large breathing pile of vomit? And she's very snarky and, and uh, sarcastic. And Frank says, uh, I'm useless. Almost lost my lunch there. Don't know what's worse. Dry heaves or an all out splorch. And uh, you just got to love a comic that uses the word splorch. Not a word. I don't, I don't think it's a word I have ever used, but even it's a very descriptive word. It's a, it's a great word. You know what that word means, especially when you combine it with the dry heaves. Anyway, he asks for a phone. She tells him there's a pay phone around the corner. Uh, remember, folks, this is the 90s. There were pay phones. Nobody had uh, cell phones back then, or if, or if they did, they were someone who had some money and the phone was, well, I mean, it was, it was, it was not uh, a cheap thing to use. Anyway, he needs the phone because he wants to call and check in with Dr. Phlegm, but real, uh, I mean, really he wants to talk to Joe, 
uh, the love of his life. And uh, so he calls, Bonnie answers the phone. She's, uh, I guess, Dr. Flem's love interest. She lives with Dr. Flem. Um, he wants to speak with Joe, but before he can even ask her, she immediately says, all right, I'll go get Gillespie, who is Dr. Flem. And um, Frank's like, no, I wanted to talk to Joe. Hello, hello. And then uh, Dr. Flem gets on the phone and immediately Frank asks him, um, I mean, he tells him everything's all right. Dr. Boyford is under the care of Tri-Eye. You know Tri-Eye, right, Dr. Flem? And Dr. Flem, he doesn't seem to have been hiding that from Frank. There, there is still something about Dr. Flem that I feel is a bit untrustworthy. He seems to be a very guarded character. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if it's something in his past. Uh, maybe he used to be a very open guy and he's found that that's gotten him in trouble. And so despite the fact that he and Frank seem to be rather close at this point, I mean, they, they, they have kind of a, an employer employee relationship, but at the same time, almost like a, I don't know if you'd call it father and son at this point. I think, uh, Dr. Boyford would be more of a, uh, father figure to Frank at this point than, than Dr. Flem. Dr. Flem may be more of a, a cranky uncle, but Flem admits, I do a little work for them. It's nothing to concern you. And, uh, again, yeah, he just seems to be like a, a very guarded individual and I don't know why. And my immediate instinct is not to trust this guy. And, I've mentioned it before. While this was my single favorite comic from the 90s, um, I never finished the Dark Horse run. I got pretty deep into it, but I never finished it because I stopped collecting comics. And then when I started collecting comics again, that's when uh, Mike Allred had brought Madman to Image Comics. And I think that series was called Madman Atomic Comics. And I started reading those and then never finished those that run either. So again, this is, this is really fun for me because I get to finally finish all the Madman issues to date. But at this point, we're still, I'm still reading issues that I had read before, but I don't know, uh, whether Dr. Flem can be trusted. I, I, I don't know that. I, I feel like he can be, he's, he's, uh, Again, I think there's kind of a, almost a, a, a father son relationship there, but again, it's more like a cranky uncle at this point. But anyway, Frank tells Dr. Flem that, that he needs to, he does want to come back to Buzztown and asks if they're where the nearest Moto Rooter rocket car tunnel is. And Frank and Dr. Flem had used a time rocket, a time machine to build a series of tunnels between Buzztown and Snap City. Buzztown's kind of the small town and Snap City's the big sprawling hustle bustle city. And, uh, these tunnels are called Moto Rooter rocket car tunnels. And there's basically these little rocket cars that, that they can use to travel between, uh, Buzztown and Snap City rather quickly. And so Dr. Flem tells him that there is a, uh, an entrance hidden in the Northeast corner of the boiler room in the basement. Uh, he'll send a car, but he doesn't like having them open and exposed for too long. So it will open for five minutes in five minutes. And so he needs to be there by then. And then he's about to hang up, but Frank's, you know, wait, I want to talk to Joe. And so Joe gets on. Well, <laughs> actually, there's a really great moment. This is one of the reasons I love Madman so much. There's just this moment where basically Dr. Flem's like, I'll, you know, he goes to get Joe. Uh, but before Joe can get to the phone, Mott, who is an alien from the planet Hoople,
Joe and Frank met uh, a little bit earlier in the run. He picks up the phone and he says, hey, buddy, it's Mott. So what's up? What's what's the skinny? What's been going on? And uh, I just love Mott so much. He's he hasn't been used much in this series. He they they had a, a big, uh, you know, an issue or two that focused on Mott. They thought he was an alien invader that was, uh, tried to kidnap them to eat them or something. And turns out he's just a guy who's was he's a he's a bachelor. but. In his culture, he was uh, supposed to marry this this other alien woman, but after marriage, I guess the alien women eat the alien men, so he was just trying to get away from all that. And like Frank, he's just a super nice guy, and he just wants to be, he just wants to hang with his buddy Frank. Unfortunately, Frank doesn't have a lot of time on the phone. He's got five minutes, you know, the, the, the door to his way home opens in five minutes and it's only going to be open for five. So he's got 10 minutes basically. And he wants to talk to Joe, the love of his life. So he, his response to Mott, who's just like, so what's up? What's the skinny? What's been going on? He just says, uh, Mott, uh, hi, say is Joe there? And Mott is so hurt. He's just crushed. He goes, Joe. Oh, I get it. Fine. That's just fine. And, uh, hands the phone over to Joe and Joe says, uh, Frank, what did you say to Mott? I think you hurt his feelings. And he's explaining to Joe what, you know, he wasn't trying to be rude. He has a very small window of time and he really wanted to talk to Joe. And Joe says she'll smooth it out with Mott. I just, it's one page and it's probably my favorite page in this issue because it's just one of those things. We've all probably been there before where we have a friend who uh, maybe is just a bit more into the relationship than we are. But we still want to be that person's friend. We still enjoy spending time with that person. And it's just one of those moments where you have somebody in your life that maybe is more important than that friend. And that person is reminded that that friend is reminded of that. And it's a very awkward moment. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Anyway, as Frank is talking to Joe and explaining to her what happened with the guy in the moving van, and we hear more screams. And then these doctors uh, and hospital employees that were wearing the hazmat suits come running by and they have uh, bits of puke on them. And we see that Mr. Lunder, the the human puke, has escaped. Frank has to pretty much drop the phone, leave leave uh, Joe hanging to, to investigate what's going on because basically right next to the phone is the, the doors to uh, the quarantine area. And he looks in... Um, there's a, still a couple of doctors left there in their hazmat suits. And Mr. Lender, the, the, the puke that he's made out of uh, has stomach acids basically in it. It's very acidic. And it burned through the straps that had him, you know, strapped to the table. And he's now uh, absorbing these doctors. It's, it's the, the, the puke. Uh, that makes up Mr. Lender uh, is eating through the hazmat suits, stripping the flesh basically from the from from the bones of these doctors. Frank runs up and grabs one of the doctors by the arm, who's screaming that he is burning. And Frank yanks on the guy's arm and pulls the guy's arm completely off, which is really kind of gross. Mr. Lender continues to absorb the two doctors and then screams out that it uh, he is in pain and that he's hungry. Basically, he's like, pain, hungry, and goes after Frank. You can see bits of bone from these doctors hanging out of the 
the the puke creature uh, still being absorbed, which is kind of cool and gross at the same time. Frank manages to get out of the room, close the doors, and he starts stacking furniture and a potted plant and whatnot in front of the doors, hoping to keep uh, the puke monster at bay. And then he's like, all right, that's that's good. I've got him trapped. Uh, this has nothing to do with me anymore. I need to get out of here. I'm just going to be in the way. And he points uh, uh, a new group of doctors who are getting off of the elevator wearing hazmat suits. One of them is holding literally a giant hypodermic needle. I mean, the guy's got to hold it with two hands as long as a pool cue or something. He points them in the direction. It's all yours, fellas. And then he goes down to the basement and uh, he gets down there to to get to the the tunnel and he starts to recognize the place. He realizes that this is one of the places he helped Dr. Flem set up, uh, but he had no idea it was under a hospital. Uh, we go back upstairs where Skip is getting dressed. He's, he's trying to put his tight black bodysuit on over his the, the, the cast that's on his, the full cast that's on his leg and the cast that's on his arm. And he sees uh, the puke monster come walking by and the puke monster sees him and turns toward him. But before the giant puke monster can get Skip, Suddenly Frank is there and he's wearing a different outfit. It's a, it's an all black outfit with yellow gloves and he has a gun that he's firing at the puke monster. Now this is his gun that we've talked about before. It's an old toy pla- plastic toy disc gun, which I I've owned one. I had one when I was a kid. You can buy it at freaking Walmart or uh Sears or you know, one an old department store from back in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Um and it had these little discs that you would load into it, and it was spring loaded and fire these little discs that uh really wouldn't hurt anybody. you know there was it was a kid's toy, but Frank has modified his I think his shoots sharp razor discs uh but he has loaded it in this case with uh well, they call it alka celsa, but it's alka seltzer tabs you know for acid indigestion and whatnot and he's he's firing these tablets. At the puke monster, which doesn't seem to be having a lot of effect, but it distracts the monster enough that uh, he can grab, that Frank can grab, skip, get him on an elevator and get him out of there. And then to to keep the monster distracted, Frank doesn't get on the elevator with Skip. He's just like, get out of here. Uh, I'm going to lead it to the parking garage. And he goes running into the stairs, the the stairwell, and the monster chases him. Uh, we learn that Frank is actually wearing a a special suit. He's got his costume on underneath the suit, but it's it's definitely his because it's it while it's black with yellow gloves and yellow boots, it's it's got a yellow uh, exclamation bolt on the front of it. And the mask actually zips up so it covers his entire head. He at one point leads the puke monster through a doorway where he has a bag of borax chlorine. Uh, mounted atop the doorway. He fires one of his razor discs at the bag, opens it up, and it dumps, you know, it's like a 10-gallon bag. It dumps uh, borax on the creature, but he's also made a, a, a circle of borax in the garage. And he knows that, because he he used it once before to, to clean up vomit when uh, Dr. Boyford was sick, uh, he knows that it's uh, borax chlorine, as he puts it, is puke's worst enemy. So he feels that he has the puke monster trapped. 
and now he's going to, he feels that he can leave the monster there, go get Dr. Flem to come help because Dr. Flem is the second smartest man he knows. And Dr. Boyford would be the first. Uh, but the puke monster jumps over the circle that's drawn in Borax and chases Frank up a tree. Terrence Lender, who is the puke monster, his wife and chi- and children show up just as uh, the creature basically envelops Frank. Frank's able to zip up his, his hood, his mask thing, so that he's protected within the puke. Uh, but the, the wife and children distract Terrence, the puke monster, just enough so Frank is able to escape. He dumps a bunch of packing peanuts, styrofoam packing peanuts on it, continues to run as the puke monster chases him. He grabs a, a, a pipe, pulls a pipe off the wall, uses that to knock a door open into the boiler room. Uh, as he's running, he's just looking for a place to escape and he's, he's throwing stuff, you know, a crate and whatnot at the puke monster as he runs. He, at one point, there's a big, uh, glass bottle of liquid on the floor that, that shatters as Frank jumps on it and jumps up, grabs an axe off the wall. There's a big tank on the wall that says experimental 2001 X on it. And he, as if on instinct, you know, Frank takes the axe and chops open the, the, the tank. And the whatever is inside splashes out on the old puke monster. And again, Frank doesn't know what it is. He's just kind of hoping that he can slow this thing down so he can jump in the, the, the rocket car and get away and go get help from Dr. Flem. Uh, but whatever it is, whatever the experimental X stuff is, it's a, some kind of chemical combination and by itself or mixed with the borax and the, the Alka-Seltsa and whatever was in the glass jar. Whatever it was, just the thing in the tank or a combination of everything that he's thrown at the puke monster, old pukey boy begins to shrink. And he shrinks down enough that Frank is able to, uh, using a a plunger, a funnel, and a dustpan, scrapes him off the ground and puts him into a a big glass bottle, like a a five, ten-gallon glass bottle. He takes the suit off. And we learned that he actually wasn't wearing his normal costume under the suit. He had taken everything off except for the mask to put the black and yellow suit on. And he finds his white suit, his regular white suit with the red exclamation bolt, laying there on the stairs covered in, in this chemical that he had dumped all over the puke monster. So he, he takes his black suit off. He wrings out his white suit, uh, dries it up as much as he can, puts it on, jumps in the rocket car, radios ahead to Dr. Flem to say that he's coming uh, and he's bringing a friend because he's got the bottle with the puke monster in it and he goes racing off and as he's racing off we see uh, in the foreground we see Frank in the background racing off in his rocket car on this track and in the foreground we just see the legs of what appears to be a robot and then it says next little lexicon of life or the tale of the mini madman so that's that's what's next this was a really fun adventure um not a lot of real depth here. It was just Frank fighting a puke monster, uh, but it was put together very well. You know, it's for for uh, an issue that really, you know, again, ultimately is just fr- most of it is Frank fleeing from this puke monster uh, and throwing stuff at it and trying what he can to slow it down. It wasn't one of these issues that, you know, you would expect that this would be something you'd read in three to five minutes. And it was it was a good read. It was fun. It's like it, it wasn't heavy, but it wasn't empty. It was just kind of in that right sweet spot. There was enough going on uh, alongside 
the the story with the puke monster, you know, we get some interaction with Frank and Skip and we get the great interaction with Frank and Mott and then with Joe and then with Dr. Flam and and the doctors. You know, there's there's there is a lot going on in this issue. And uh, you got to kind of wonder if something's going to happen to Frank uh, now that he's wearing uh, his suit that has been soaked in all these chemicals. You know, is something going to happen? And if you if you are reading this these issues the way I am through the Madman Library edition, and you, then you see the cover to the next issue, and you kind of got a clue of what's going to happen. But I liked how you know he Frank had this other suit. It's not something that he was carrying with him when he had gone down to the boiler room to get to the uh, the the tunnel entrance, and he started talking about how he recognized the place he was he had helped set it up. He didn't know it was underneath the hospital. You kind of see the suit there hanging out of a box. So it's just kind of something that maybe he had worn while they were setting up the room, while they were digging the tunnels, while they were doing whatever it is they needed to do. And then he left it there. Or if it was just kind of a, uh, you know, I have these, you know, these, these various rooms throughout the city where the tunnels go to these entrances, I will stash suits there just in case. And it was a bit serendipitous that in this case, the suit happened to be like some kind of, I don't, um, I know they, he mentions it at one point. I'm trying to find the panel where he talks about this suit and it's there on the last page. It's a, it's a, it's a rubber scuba suit. And, um, so it protected him from the puke and ultimately he, you know, his, his original plan had been to trap the puke monster in this circle of chlorine, uh, and go get Dr. Flem. But when that didn't work, then he just had to kind of play it by ear. And he comes up with a new plan, which is to trap the puke monster in the car tunnels so that uh, he couldn't get anybody else. And the way he puts it is, he goes, he goes, you're trapped in the car tunnels. You may get me, but you won't get anyone else. And, you know, that speaks to who Frank is. He's a, he's a hero. He's willing to sacrifice himself to keep everybody else safe. Uh and he mentions at one point as he's running from the puke monster during his narration, he says, I've done horrible things that I didn't mean to do. I know Terrence isn't responsible for the deaths he's caused. Yes, there should be retribution. That'll come. I liked, I like that bit because he's, uh, you know, I think in some comics, some heroes, some characters would be like, uh, this monster has killed people. So I have to, I have to put it down. You know, there's no excuse for, for killing people. And he's, Frank's not, he doesn't judge. He, he, he understands, you know, he's, he says it himself. He's done some stuff that he's not proud of. Um, he knows that Terrence is not in control, that, uh, whatever he's changed into, he's a mindless monster at this point. And that, yes, he should pay for killing people, but that'll come. And it's more of a metaphysical, almost like, a. You know, depending on what religion you may believe in, he he'll he'll pay for it in the afterlife. Ultimately, he he'll face the ultimate judge. Is is kind of what I'm getting from that. Now I know that uh, Allred is. I, I believe I'm fairly certain. I'm about ninety nine point nine nine percent certain that Allred's a Mormon. I don't really exactly know much about the Mormon faith. I don't know what they believe in. I don't know if they believe in like a heaven and a hell and and. Uh, facing the ultimate judgment. I don't know about any of that. So I don't know if that's what was meant from that comment, but that's, that's what I took out of it. Yeah. Uh, another great issue. And I'm looking forward to reading the next one. I made a decision when I was off, when I had stopped podcasting for a couple of weeks, I had, a uh, 
gotten myself into this little trap where it's like every book that I read, I feel like I need to do a podcast episode about it. And then knowing that I was going to do multiple episodes as I was reading through Madman and not necessarily wanting to do multiple episodes in a row because I'm doing like the Madman books and the G.I. Joe books and, and, and Moon Knight and all that stuff. And I feel like I should spread that stuff out. So I was purposely reading Madman and these other books, read one issue, do a podcast episode about it, and then put it down and don't look at it again for another two months. And I, I'm, I'm done doing that because it's really funny. As I was preparing for episode 300, I talked about this a bit on the Superman Super Show. Uh, I don't think it made it into an episode. It's in the video, the making of. But as I was preparing for episode number 300 and I was putting together kind of a clip show of just some moments from the the first 299 episodes, I noticed that my earlier episodes were a lot more fun than my later episodes. And my earlier episodes were literally me five days a week drive, you know, I, I'd get up in the morning, get ready for work. I drive into work. I always somehow managed to get myself to work 30 to 45 minutes early, you know, did that on purpose so that I could sit in the parking lot, which was still rather empty at that time in the morning. And I could using my phone record an episode. And then after I would get home, I would edit the episode and put it up for the next day. And I was, I didn't really give the podcast much thought back then. It's like, I'd pull into the, the parking lot at work and I would just start talking. It's like, well, what books did I read last night? Did I watch something last night? Do I, do, you know, or do I, am I just going to talk about something off the top of my head? And I just literally tap record and started talking. I didn't have show notes. I didn't have, in most cases, the book there in front of me to look at while I was talking about it. And now that I'm podcasting from home, and I have been for like the last uh, year and a half or so, um, I have, you know, when I was podcasting in my car, the reason why I didn't have show notes and the book in front of me and all that junk is because I'm in my car. I don't really have access to a lot of that stuff. I didn't have time. I just, I just did the episodes and got them out the next day. And, and, uh, uh, now I can plan and put together show notes and look at the book while I'm talking about it. And I have found that that makes the pod, the, the episodes a little less fun. I think it's the, they just seemed to more to be more fun when it was all off the top of my head and I was just talking and excited about what I was talking about and making mistakes and then turning those mistakes into something even more fun. And uh, not that I'm going to get back to uh, you know taking everything away from me, so I you know I'm not looking at the book or anything like that. But I need to. I need to stop thinking about, for example, now that I've read this issue of Madman and I talked about it, I'm going to keep reading. I'm, you know, I'm going to read the next issue and read the issue after that. And then when I feel like recording the, the next episode, it may be a month from now, I'll just go down and re go back and review issue number nine, for example. I may be on issue 20 at that point, but, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to get back to reading for fun and stop this idea that everything I read, I need to figure out how to turn into an episode because that's, that was making my life, uh, it, it was turning the podcast into work and that's not what this is supposed to be. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've said it before that the reason I podcast is because I can't talk about this stuff with my family because they don't care. There's nobody around me that I can sit around and talk comics with. So that's what I use the podcast for. And I was getting away from that. So hopefully the, the show uh, will start being more fun in the future. But until then, folks, uh, hopefully this show, this episode was fun. Uh, but uh, I'm going to wrap it up. 
I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode of Just Another Fanboy. If you want to drop me a line, ask me a question, provide a bit of feedback, or just let me know what's in your average Badger's daily diet, you can email me at justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. Or you can use the Just Another Fanboy voice line at 785-318-6673. You can leave me a voicemail or even send me a text. Just make sure that if you're sending a text, let me know who you are in case I want to use it as feedback on the show. You can also reach out to me on Twitter by using the handle at Stephen or else or join in on all the fun over at the message boards by going to forum.justanotherfanboy.com. And hey, if you feel inclined to throw a little support my way because podcasting ain't cheap, uh, it's kind of cheap, but it's not free, you can join the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Stephen R. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else gets them. That's anybody except you and your fellow patrons. I also invite you to subscribe to the Stephen Says Stuff newsletter. This is the free Substack where I'm going to send you every podcast episode I create each and every week right to your inbox the morning that that episode is released. All of those links, email address, and the phone number, that's all going to be listed in your show notes. So join me back here next week when you just might hear me say, Give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. Except I'm not going to say that. That was, uh, that was Dr. Johnny Fever. And if I can get Dr. Johnny Fever on next week's episode, that would be pretty great. But until then, folks, my name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. <laughs> Gets pukey in the bing ball. That was stupid. I'm also going to break in here and say that if you hear a bunch of junk in the background, I have in the small sleepy town that I live in. Literally, this is a small, small town. We don't have our own police force or even a, just a uh, Barney Fife walking around. We don't have a gas station. We don't have any kind of convenience store, anything like that. We have to go to the next town over to do anything like that. And if we need a police presence, it's got to be the county sheriff. Anyway, today's the day. I haven't actually recorded a podcast in over a week. And today's the day that they decide they're going to do some type of a uh, road construction or something. I don't know what they're doing out there. Maybe they're cutting down somebody's tree, but they got the road cordoned off next to the house and they're out there making a lot of noise. So yeah, we got that going on. God, that's freaking loud out there. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. I haven't podcasted in almost two weeks and there's been nothing but silence around here for three years and today. Uh, and you know, I think what drives me more crazy about stuff like that is you guys probably can't hear it at all. It'll probably get taken out of the show when I do my noise removal. So, but it's it sounds like Somebody is, is, uh, they're out there grinding, you know, putting, uh, giant tree limbs into a wood chipper. And it sounds like the, the wood chipper is literally in the room with me. But, uh, what was I saying? Oh, I'm going to try to do another intro here because I meant to say something and I didn't. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that stopped singing in the shower because, well, it started attracting badgers. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And hey, how about that episode 300, huh? That was something special. That was some crazy stuff I did, you know, like in the 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 part there in the middle when I did that thing. Um, I'm being purposely vague because I'm actually recording this episode before I did episode 300. I, I have no idea what's going to happen 
with episode 300. Of course, by the time you're hearing this, episode 300 is out and done, and I hope it was kind of crazy, and I hope I did do something kind of crazy in the middle, but um, maybe I didn't. Who knows? I can't see in the future. Like Frank Einstein, hey, 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 hey. that was a really sad segue, because, yeah, today, I want to take another... I want to take another step in that journey. I, I say journey with irony because I hate it when people say this was a very special journey that we went on when we were in our reality show. But uh, yeah, we're going we're going with another episode of Madman Comics today. In fact, we're talking about Madman Comics issue number eight. Okay, the intro's done again. <laughs> 